We must imbue our public policy with an emphasis on equity. And we have to recognize and report on who benefits from and who is burdened by the actions that we all make and the decisions that we make. But we also have to repair the damage that inattention to equity has already done by supporting efforts to convene voices and perspectives that we don't often hear in public discourse. Coming to you from the studios at Arlington Independent Media, I'm your host, Lane Borton, and this is Choose to be Curious. Welcome. This is a show all about curiosity. We talk about research and theory, but mostly it's conversations about how curiosity shows up in work and life. And I spend a lot of time on this show thinking and talking about listening to the voices that we don't often hear, about choosing to be curious about experiences and perspectives that are perhaps different from our own. And this week, we get to dig into that again, but with a twist. When Christian Dorsey was voted in as chair of Arlington County Board, he lost no time in making his priorities clear. One, deal with the budget gap, and two, focus on equity. As a citizen, of course, I was pleased to hear both. As a student of the ways we actually operate as human beings, I was especially intrigued. Because it's not hard to imagine circumstances that would put those two objectives into tension with one another. Indeed, I think we can all recall times when one, a tight budget, might have been a ready excuse for not attending to the other. And that got me thinking about work done on scarcity by Sendhil Moonlainathan, a Harvard professor of economics, and Eldar Shafir, a professor of psychology and public affairs at Princeton. Their basic premise is scarcity captures the mind, that whatever it is we're short on becomes not only the thing we think most about, but also inclines us to make bad decisions about that very thing and everything else, whether it's food for people who are starving, money for people who are without it, or time for the modern busy professional. If it's scarce for us, we get stupid and fall into what they call the scarcity trap. The scarcity trap is like tunnel vision. It's where our being overly focused on the necessity at hand leads, among other things, to profound lack of curiosity about broader issues and an inability to imagine longer-term consequences. So for us in Arlington or anywhere facing budget challenges, our budget gap puts it at risk for bad decision-making and unintended consequences. Christian Dorsey seemed to understand that risk. It presents us with the dual responsibility of ensuring that today's austerity doesn't disproportionately burden the most marginalized and the most vulnerable among us, and that the better times ahead don't leave those same people behind. So how do you do that? How do you keep all those needs, all those lives in mind? And how do we bring all those experiences and perspectives forward with equity in mind? What would that look like? By adopting equity as a guiding principle of our government, we make government work better for all. And to work for all means that one's race, national origin, gender, sexual identity, disability, religion, neighborhood, family structure, or any other social status. Those social indicators are not to be predictive of adverse outcomes. 
Now, our community has long been united in believing this. Now it's time for us to actually start achieving it. I'm delighted to have Arlington County Board Chair Christian Dorsey with me today to talk about how we as a community are going to start achieving equity and how our choosing to be curious might support that effort. So welcome, Christian, and thank you for being here. Well, Lynn, thank you very much for having me. I look forward to this conversation. Me too. Me too. So let's start with something really basic. What is equity? Well, you know, fundamentally, equity is uh, about making sure that you you allow in, in the governmental sense that you are providing people what they need in order to uh, lead a fulfilling uh, life that um, you know gives them all the opportunity to reach their full potential. And it's to recognize that for a long time, uh, people feel that good government is when you deliver government equally. You know, you give everybody the same thing. And I'd like to you know maybe have a different focus where we we uh, use government, be curious, and figure out what everyone needs and see if you can deliver that. Uh, and, and for me, that ultimately produces what we all want, and that's to have everyone with uh, an equal opportunity to thrive. Right. So equity is not... Equity does not equal equality. It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't. You know, one of the, you can come up with a, a million analogies, but uh, one of the ones that you'll see in graphic form as part of uh, some of the initiatives that we're going to roll out, uh, you could decide that everyone's going to get a bicycle. Uh, but if you are six feet four, that bicycle needs to be different size than right. someone who's five feet two. You and I would different size bicycles. That's right. <laughs> so... You know, as we, we think about equity, it's about figuring out exactly what everyone needs. Mm -hmm. And that does look different. It does require you to be curious and to think and to talk to people about what they need and, and not default to what is often the simplest solution. Uh -huh. and, and so inequity is, is a failure to do that. And it's based on some of what you said about sort of damages from the past. It's also the result of a failure to do that. Is that right? I think that's right. Uh, when we think historically about uh, periods of our country where there was an overt focus on marginalizing people and using the power of the state to diminish opportunities, th those are very easy to identify. Mm -hmm. But as we've moved from beyond that period towards where we are currently, we went straight from that period of outright marginalization to let's just make sure we scrub ourselves of all of that. But what was lost was an effort to remediate and repair uh -huh. that damage. And this is something that I also uh, believe needs to be a part of, of our current conversation. So why do you think it hasn't been part of the conversation yet? I think there are a lot of reasons, but I think for, for, for many, it's hard. Mm -hmm. It's hard. It, it requires that you confront what may be some uncomfortable realities. It requires that you actually uh, speak to people who have been affected in ways that can sometimes uh, cause other people to be uncomfortable, defensive. Certainly it requires that you give them some power mm -hmm. uh, to be a part of creative solutions moving forward, which is sometimes threatening to others. I think there, there are many reasons why this approach really hasn't been done uh, on, on a broad scale. But I'm, uh, I'm hopeful that in Arlington we have the conditions to maybe change uh, what is the typical way that this is approached. So what do you think those conditions are? I mean, why, 
Why now? Why, are, why do you think we're ready? One of the things that I hear as a public servant from all Arlingtonians is a, a continuing desire that we do better and be better as a community. Mm-hmm. People crave that. They don't necessarily always have the tools for what that means, but it's, it's, it's a yearning. And I feel it's my responsibility to take that yearning and make it actionable. And this is one of the ways that you make it actionable by, okay, I hear that that we know that we want a community that is diverse, not just in name only on a marketing brochure, but that you see it in our neighborhoods and in our schools. Not everybody knows exactly how to do that, but that yearning provides the provides the oomph for us to to convene people to figure it out. And, and that's really where where uh, my equity frame comes from. It's it's bringing together all of those various yearnings that I've heard from people who may not necessarily have the same policy goals, uh-huh. but I think if they they all desire for us to move forward and to be better and to have diversity and inclusivity and uh, full potential realized, this is this is where they're they're wanting to go. So you're sort of a catalyst. We, you want us to move from desiring to doing. I think that's right. That's yeah. a great way of saying it. Okay. Okay. So let me ask you the miracle question. You wake up tomorrow and miraculously equity has been achieved mm. in Arlington. What's the first thing that you notice that tells you that that happened? Mm. So I think uh, I'll, I'll, look at, I'll look at diverse neighborhoods uh-huh. as the key thing, that we don't have neighborhoods that are homogeneous because they are it is it is impossible for people who may not necessarily reflect the uh, predominant demographic of the neighborhood that they either a don't want to live there or b can't live there mm-hmm. you know that we have a diversity where people have freedom of movement uh, throughout our county and that's reflected in the civic spaces where we gather the schools where our children are educated and the commercial, uh, the commercial realm is is made up of all kinds of of uh, diverse uh, entities that serve that very broad and diverse community. It, it we basically look like we have a wonderful oleo all throughout Arlington in every pocket. <laughs> nice. So, uh, so housing and housing, of course, and affordability of housing is something you've spent a lot of time yes. and energy on. And I know you've you've talked about you know the lines that people have about sort of protecting our neighborhoods mm. and you and you ask the question protecting from what yeah. um that goes to some of this doesn't it you know it does and, and i don't want to sort of make this a sort of historical overview but it wasn't that long ago that people were absolutely prohibited from living in certain neighborhoods and uh there's a degree to which our our neighborhoods have maintained that segregated character, and uh, it's provided real harm to others who haven't been able to build wealth, develop opportunity. And uh, to, to look at that is not to ascribe blame, assign blame to anyone who's currently living in those communities, uh, but it's to recognize that we have a responsibility to, to maybe try and redress some of that because it has cascading consequences yeah. throughout, throughout our community. So so that's actually a great kind of lead back to this question of the potential tension between mm-hmm. current economic austerity mm-hmm. or, or a need to be more creative, I mm-hmm. guess, mm-hmm. Um, with the budget gap and addressing equity. So how do you 
you nodded when uh, I talked about uh, those possibly being intention. How do you see threading that needle? You know, it's messy, <laughs> but it does require really getting at the core of what government is supposed to be about. Uh-huh. As we approach the budget, it can't simply be about looking at pockets of money that you cut that add up to a figure that solves whatever it is your numerical budget gap is. Uh, It is looking at each of those uh, programs, services that end up being recommended for trimming or or eliminating by the manager and not only asking uh, how many people does it serve, is it uh, achieving its its performance measures, but how do pe- how are people impacted by it? So, you know, our, our budget process hasn't started yet, but I can think conceptually uh, if, for example, a, uh, a library is proposed for elimination. I don't want to just ask how many people checked out books from the library. I want to ask uh, the people who use that library, does it serve a purpose beyond just simply as a place where they can get books? Is it a community gathering mm-hmm. place? Mm-hmm. Uh, is this a place where uh, it becomes a, a way to build community? Is this a place where people, because of where the library is, don't have easy access to other libraries that may replace those services? Asking all of those questions is a key key part of um, having equity as a guiding ethos to your service delivery. So that's a really interesting example of sort of staying curious in the process and and finding multiple dimensions to be to be looking at sort of what are the metrics getting past maybe just outputs, you know, right, how many right. how many books went out the door right. to outcomes. That's right. You know, what's this do in terms of building cohesion in a community? Um, whereas they're not an alternative path easily available or someplace else may have an easy alternative path. So how else do you see curiosity kind of coming into this process? What are the things that you think we'll be curious about that we haven't been curious about in the past, maybe? Well, you know, one will be really soliciting input from our community. It's, it's one of the things that I think each member of the county board, not only currently, but, uh, you know, in the past as well, have all desired to really excel at citizen engagement, mm-hmm. community engagement. And, you know, people know of the Arlington Way where we, we desire getting that broad input, but I don't think we've perfected uh, how to get that input from uh, every stakeholder interest in the community that deserves to be heard. Um, frequently, just because of the way our processes are designed, if you, um, if you, you have the time if you have the ability to organize, if you have the ability to devote uh, devote time to developing your perspective, you are very well served by our citizen engagement uh-huh. processes. If if those things are not uh, inherent in 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 what you have uh, in, in terms of availability, then it's not. And we have to figure out how to actually reach those people who are not necessarily um, well suited to engaging with us with our current platforms. Well, you know, I'm thinking, as you say that, I'm thinking about a conversation I had with Naren Ramakrishnan, who runs the Discovery Analytic, Virginia Tech's Discovery Analytics Center here in, uh, in Boston. And he talks about using um, kind of surrogate sources of information. So it's a way of getting information from communities that doesn't require them to show up and come to forums and sit down for stakeholder interviews and that sort of thing. But, you know, watching, I don't know, you know, making this up, you know, like foot traffic or bus ridership or, 
um, tweets or restaurant mm-hmm. reservations, any of those sorts of things. And I'm wondering, are there some non-traditional kind of big data approaches that you're going to be able to use for this effort? Definitely. There are, def- there, there are ways that technology can very much aid in this for certain communities and in certain instances. Uh, in our uh, high-rise or dense metro corridors where we're dealing with a, a large millennial population that is very tech-connected and tech-savvy, they're technological tools that we can use to engage people more effectively. But you know what? That's not something that will substitute what we're doing presently nor is it inclusive uh, of, of how everybody can, can best be reached. I love your example of just uh, you know, going to the grocery store or hanging out in a neighborhood. These are all tools that matter and will be very effective for certain communities. And uh, you'll, you'll see some of that this year, where instead of just saying, come to us, we're going to you know, go, go to where people gather uh-huh. and seek the input that way. Uh-huh. So is that what you mean when you talk about that you're looking for a county government to develop the competency and fluency in evaluating equity? Well, it's not only the citizen engagement tools, but it's also recognizing uh, what questions uh, you need to ask and what Mm -hmm. considerations you need to have. Uh, You're familiar with universal design in in architecture and building, where you, you not only make sure that your, your, your spaces are accessible to people with disabilities and who are mobility challenged, but they are not, you know, given the sort of marginalized accessibility right. where it's around the corner and uh, behind the hedges. It's and, just how things are. You know, just how things are. Yeah. Our, our, our buildings are accessible to anyone because we design them that way. You know, that to me has been very, very helpful in, in figuring out how you you implement equity at, and certainly in the case of the disability community, but the approach has been how do I, how do I rethink something from the very beginning mm. so that it serves a broader purpose than maybe my, my limited myopic view would have directed me ordinarily. Mm, mm. You know, and I'm thinking Atul Gawande had a, uh, gave a, an address at the UCLA med school at the commencement. And he talked about sort of listening to people, but not just listening to their words, listening to the emotion behind Mm. those words. Mm. And he said that when people speak, they aren't just expressing their ideas. They are even more expressing their emotions. And it's the emotions that really want to be heard. Mm -hmm. How do you hear the emotion behind some of these things as a government? It's uh, To me, it's essential to being responsive, but also to being effective. Yeah. Uh, many times people articulate something, and if you sort of take what is the transcript version of what they say and use that as the basis for acting, you're often going to miss it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sometimes people will maybe express displeasure with a certain policy action and you know, intellectually, you can look at that and say, "Well, that, that's completely not accurate, not reasonable. That doesn't make any sense." And you can, you know, if you're you're not sensitive to the emotions behind it, just completely dismiss uh, that person, and 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 that's gonna that's gonna be to your detriment because often it, it's the the emotion that informs their advocacy or their speaking out mm-hmm. that really needs tending to and um, 
you know, often is going to reflect an emotion that's shared by a wide variety of people. Yeah. So, you know, don't don't always think that you have to just if you don't meet people's declared uh, desired action, that if you meet it or you don't, that you've solved the problem. You you often have it. Well, and that goes to that. I mean, you I think you're right to describe it as competency and fluency. They're two really different things. Mm-hmm. But that seems to me a good example where the two of them intersect, yeah. where, you know, you have some skills and some processes that lead to a kind of competency. But a fluency is understanding the language, yeah. not just the spoken word, the selection of vocabulary, but their context and all of that. Very interesting. So are there places that you think we're already doing this well that we should do more of in the words of Chip and Dan Heath, bright <laughs> spots, do more of that? You know, I think we're getting there. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I wouldn't say that in any place that we've particularly uh, figured it out, but I do think we're getting better. One of the one of the areas that we're engaging in right now is discussions with our community about Amazon in mm-hmm. Arlington. Mm-hmm. And uh, for the first time that I can remember in Arlington, and I've been here for 25 years, we're holding listening sessions. And I'll be perfectly frank, not everybody's pleased with those. You'll hear a lot of criticism of them. But at the core, I think providing an opportunity for people to share their perspectives, opinions, get their you know, clear factual questions answered, but otherwise letting them say what they need so that that is fully heard by decision makers in approaching what will eventually be decisions about Amazon has been a huge step forward, mm-hmm. even if it hasn't been uh, universally well-received by people who've spoken out about it. I think in many ways it's demonstrating a principal focus of what people have criticized government uh, generally and in Arlington for, not hearing us, mm-hmm. not understanding what our perspectives are. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that at the end of the day everybody who speaks and who's heard will have their absolute desired outcomes reflected in the decision. That's impossible. But I do believe uh, this is a huge step forward in showing that we, we've actually heard the input mm-hmm. that we've heard, that we've well, received. And a willingness to stay in dialogue even when it's uncomfortable mm-hmm. is, um, and creating those opportunities even when it's uncomfortable, um, I think has got to be a part of this. It sort of goes back where you started. Mm-hmm, it's like, mm-hmm. it's hard, so we've avoided it. Yeah. So so having started it, it's going to be hard. We just need to know that. So are there like three things that we as citizens of the county could do that would that we could build into our days that would support this effort? There, there, there are. Uh, so... In no particular order of importance, I am very much a fan of people who currently don't have uh, diverse opportunities to interact with people of diverse backgrounds. And and that could be whatever. It could be race. could be economics. It could be socioeconomics. It could be age. um, age, It could be family status. You know, it doesn't matter what it is. But if you don't have those opportunities to seek them out Mm -hmm. because they do exist for people to interact and and the value of it is not just feeling good about oneself but it's exponentially broadening your worldview there's nothing like uh, hearing about someone's perspective on a situation or getting a window into their life there's no substitute for that how you how you 
you get that level of education. It's really mm-hmm. tough to get otherwise. And if our community could in, if, take advantage of the opportunities that exist to do that while also looking to create more, I think we'll begin to to have the preconditions to repair a lot of the damage that has been done. And, uh, you know, I'm most familiar with issues of, of race and segregation in our neighborhoods. And uh, it's been remarkable. People have engaged in those levels of conversation. It It is extremely powerful in uh, getting support for public policies that can actually produce equitable results. Mm-hmm. I think it's just been tremendous. Mm-hmm. Cool. That was only one thing. I'm sorry. You said three. That's right? okay. That's, that's a good one. <laughs> All right. That'll, that'll All keep right. us going. That'll keep us going. Um, but before I let you go, uh, are you game for my big jar wannabe analogies? I'm game for uh, anything. Oh, good answer. Been- good answer. Okay. Reach in. Take a slip of paper. Just uh, because I'm game for it doesn't mean I'm going to be good at it. Uh, that's okay. There's really I I there are no here. wrong answers here. Um, we're going to make an analogy to curiosity with whatever is on your slip of paper. I've got one for me, one for the audience. You want to go first, or you want me to go? You go, so I can I can pick up the rhythm yeah, okay. of how I'm supposed to. All right. So it. I have headphones. How is curiosity like headphones? Um, <laughs> I it feels like the perfect fit for today. I would say curiosity is like headphones. Because they help us hear better. That's Helps excellent. Us hear better, yeah. So, what do you have? Hmm. Pickles. <laughs> Pickles. <laughs> uh, you know, curiosity is like uh, like pickles because uh, ostensibly everybody knows what curiosity is and uh, thinks that they are in fact curious, just like ostensibly a. Uh, a pickle is a cucumber, but really when you add some some flavoring to it and allow it to cure a while, it transforms into something else that I think is even better than the original. Oh, and while, nice. um, you know, curiosity, when actually given time to cure and, and with some added seasoning, produces tremendous results that are uh, far better than what you think curiosity is at first glance. Oh, I foresee pickle jars on your desk. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Thank you. And audience, yours is flight. How is curiosity like flight? Let us know. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, hashtag analogy. Well, Christian, thank you so much for this. And I cannot wait to see what happens. Thank you so much, Lynn, and best to you. And I really appreciate being a part of this conversation. You've been listening to WERA 96.7 FM. If you joined us late or want to catch up with this or any of the other great shows here at Radio Arlington, check us out online and on demand at WERA.FM. You can hear all my previous episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, Mixcloud, SoundCloud, and Facebook, all at Choose to be Curious, or on my website at ChooseToBeCurious.com. And I hope you follow me there and on Twitter at Choose Number 2, Letter B, Curious. Don't forget to send us your flight analogy, hashtag analogy. Many thanks to my guest, Christian Dorsey. Check out links to his full speech and the work by Mulainathan and Shafir on my Facebook page. Our theme music is by Sean Ballack and a warm welcome to our new intern, Caroline Kish. I hope you'll join us again next time. And until then, choose to be curious. Choose to be Curious is sponsored in part by realtor Christine Hopkins. Curious about real estate? Christine works with clients from around the world using her time and knowledge to build community. As she likes to say... 
community engagement has always been my big why. Working in real estate has helped me express that. What makes you part of a community more than living there? For more information, visit facebook.com slash Nova House Hunter. Funding for Choose to be Curious on WERA 96.7 FM is provided in part by the Center for Parents and Teens, where families are strengthened through a connection built through positive communication, mutual understanding, and realistic expectations of one another. For more information, visit www.centerforparentsandteens.com.